Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Culture tends to be invisible. We don't really think about it. We don't notice it. But once we start classifying culture in terms of tightness and looseness, we can then have the power to negotiate them and, and pivot as needed. Welcome to the Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast from MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And I'm Jeremy Olshan, the editor of MarketWatch. This show has at its heart an optimistic premise that money can be a force for good in the world. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. Culture. It's something we swim around in all day and mostly take for granted, at least until we're confronted with customs that are different from what we're used to. This week, we're talking about a new way of looking at culture in the workplace and in our personal lives. I try to understand the deeper cultural codes that vary around the world. And I focus in particular on how strictly groups abide by social norms. Michelle Galfan is a cross-cultural psychologist at Stanford University. Her book, Rulemakers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our World, looks at how our attitudes towards social expectations influence our problem-solving strategies. All cultures have social norms or unwritten rules for behavior. Most of us don't walk out of our houses naked. We don't steal food off people's places in restaurants. We follow rules constantly. But what we've seen is that some cultures abide by social norms quite strictly. They're what we call tight cultures. And others are looser with a more relaxed attitude toward rules and rule breaking. It applies across many different contexts. We can understand how nations differ, how organizations differ. Even our own mindsets fall along this continuum in terms of tight and loose. When it comes to tight and loose, one style isn't necessarily better than the other. They each come with trade-offs. We know that tight cultures have a lot of order. They have less crime. They have more uniformity. And tight cultures have a lot of self-discipline. They have people who are following the rules. That spills over to lower debt, to lower obesity, lower alcoholism. So there's more self-control in tight cultures. And loose cultures struggle with order. They have more crime. They have less synchrony and uniformity, and they have a host of self-regulation problems. But loose cultures corner the market on openness. They're more tolerant, relatively speaking. They're more creative. They're more adaptable. In Galfen's view, the key to success lies in balancing the two extremes. Or as she says in the book, Goldilocks had it right. All systems want order and openness. You know, we really need both. Tight and loose don't just apply to countries, though. They also apply to us. At the individual level, we can think about whether we veer tight or loose. Of course, we all naturally can tighten or loosen depending on the context. When we're in libraries and funerals, we tend to tighten up, most of us. When we're in parties or public parks, we tend to loosen. I use the metaphor from Dahlia Litwick, which is the order versus chaos Muppets. (laughs) 
You know, which are you? Are you an order Muppet like Kermit the Frog and Bert that notice rules, don't like to make mistakes, like a lot of order? You know, you look at Bert, he's got all those paper clips that he's organizing all the time. Or are you a chaos Muppet, you know, like Cookie Monster Animal? Not sure if you're more Kermit or Cookie Monster? Galfan's got a quiz for you. It classifies your nature based on your response to about two dozen questions. Once we label and we kind of think about where do we fall in this continuum, it gives us power. We can understand like where might this have come from? It could be from our upbringing. It could be from our gender, our class, our occupations. So Stephanie, we actually decided to take the quiz for ourselves. And funnily enough, we both got the same result. Yeah, we both ended up being somewhat loose. I sort of view it, I don't know if you play Dungeons and Dragons, but it's like, uh, you know, chaotic neutral is how I'd characterize myself. I was a little bit surprised, actually. Yeah, to me, my reading of Moderate Loose was it's not like we're looking to overthrow the world order on a daily basis, but it's like, how can you stretch the limits or, you know, bend the rules as much as possible to do it in a different way? At least that's my optimistic (laughs) assessment. Well, I guess I think of myself as somebody who's wound a little bit tight. You know, I think of the next deadline and delivering at a high level. And so I, I guess the this quiz didn't actually try to reveal those kinds of things, though. I think it was really looking at something different. So I was so surprised by the result that I didn't actually believe it, and I wanted confirmation. So I sent the quiz to my husband and to both of my teenage kids, and I asked them to fill it out as if they were filling it out as me. And my husband and my son both got almost exactly what I got. And my daughter got something completely different. When she did it, I ended up moderately tight. And she actually wrote to the others and said, you did something wrong. Yeah, if I had my wife take it, I would fall pretty far on the loose side of the spectrum. I think it's because she would uh, score very much on the on the tight end of the spectrum. She's much more organized and rigid in her structure of you know her day and life than I am. Galfan says learning whether you lean tight or loose personally can help you reorient the way you approach everything from dating to parenting. I, truth be told, veer moderately loose. My husband, who is a lawyer, veers moderately tight. And he gets very disturbed by how I load the dishwasher. (laughs) You know, I think it's kind of like a free-for-all and like a work of art. How do we negotiate these differences? You know, in a negotiation, we can't get everything we want, but we might have our priority domain for tight-loose. Tad's given up on the dishwasher, but like, you know, other contexts, like he might want certain domains to be tight and I might want certain domains to be loose and we have to construct a deal on this and we have to constantly renegotiate these things. Understanding your tight or loose tendencies can also impact how you approach your work and your workplace organizations veer tight or loose also, just like nations. It follows a very similar pattern. Organizations that are tight are focused on efficiency. They're more careful and conscientious. Whereas loose cultures that are in organizations are more open. They have people who take risks. They're more flexible. Uh, They might have dogs roaming around, you know, very experimental. And they evolve for good reasons in different industries. You know, tight cultures in organizations evolve in contexts where there's a lot of coordination needs, a lot of threat places like the military or police or hospitals. You know, we want these places to veer tight. On the flip side, loose organizational cultures evolve in contexts where there's less coordination needs, more creativity demands like in high tech. 
Galfan works with organizations to help them operate more smoothly, and culture plays an important role. She looks to identify where they are on the tight-loose spectrum and what adjustments could make them more successful. We want to insert a little bit more structure in organizations getting too loose, what I call structured looseness, or we might want to insert some flexibility into tight cultures. We call this flexible tightness. We could think about some organizations that should be veering loose, you know, they're super creative, but they might be getting too loose to the point where they're not meeting their targets, they have a lack of reliability, lack of oversight, some safety issues. Those are contexts where we need to insert some more accountability. On the flip side, you know, there's organizations that really want to be more loose, like manufacturing firms or the military. I do a lot of work with the, the DOD where, you know, you need rules in these contexts, but, you know, maybe there's, you know, the, getting to the point where people feel like they're walking on eggshells, where they can't be innovative. How does she diagnose these organizations as either too loose or too tight? Galfen looks at the language people use to describe the culture where they work, using surveys and data from employment sites like Glassdoor. When people are describing their ultra-loose organization, they describe them as, for example, too disorganized and decentralized, minimal top-down strategy, very chaotic, irregular rules. Ultra-tight, we hear things like extremely hierarchical, rigid, inflexible, bureaucratic, micromanaging to the point of how many times you use the restroom. We can also measure this with surveys. We can ask people about how strict versus permissive are they in terms of the deadlines, where and how you can work, the method you use to work, the language you have to use and how you dress. These are all things that we can classify in terms of how strictly the norms are. The goal is to make companies more flexible or ambidextrous. To loosen a tight culture, Galfin has come up with an approach she calls ease. E, like examine if a rule is really necessary. Like a lot of times in tight organizations, including the military, you might have all sorts of rules that have evolved, but aren't really that necessary. For example, you know, what socks you wear and your haircut. Like, do we really need to have strict rules on those kinds of issues in an organization? A, an E's model stands for allow for exploration and unstructured time. Give people the freedom and the safety to start thinking outside of the box. S in the E's model stands for shifting to a decentralized structure, because that, again, allows for more latitude. And finally, E in the E's model is encouraging pushback, getting people to feel comfortable challenging rules and at least having a dialogue around them. And so that's what we call flexible tightness. When the issue is bringing more accountability and structure to a loose organization, the acronym she uses is SECURE. This stands for setting clear benchmarks. This is where we need to include more accountability in the system, establishing structure, centralizing so that people understand like what's expected of them, upholding oversight, reinforcing reliability, and enforcing the rules. These are just an acronym we use to help these organizations to be more balanced. And so, you know, in the context of whatever organizations you're in, you can start really thinking through where do we need to tighten and where do we need to loosen? United Airlines is one famous example. In 2017, a video showed airline employees dragging a man off a plane. And about a month later, a passenger said his flight was canceled after he began filming a dispute. Look, you know, this organization needs to veer tight. It's an airline. Tremendous amount of safety issues and coordination issues. But after that, you know, happened, they really started to analyze their culture from what I could see from the outside in some interviews I did, where they started to think, well, how do we loosen up in domains that are not safety related? 
That means giving more discretion to their employees to make decisions that aren't safety-related. Galfin says the key is to find a sweet spot where employees feel both empowered and accountable. Diagnosing is the first step, then it's really having leadership to really communicate why it's important to change the culture. When you're trying to go from loose to tight, you, you know, you might get people feeling like a threat to their control. So loosening up can be kind of scary for people. Tightening loose organizations, people might feel these kinds of threats to their autonomy. They might feel that they're losing their freedom. And so we really have to first and foremost, after diagnosing our cultures, we need to kind of get buy-in and help people to understand why we need to change. So how can companies today shift their tight-loose tendencies? And which ones need to start doing that? That's coming up after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the best new ideas in money. Before the break, we talked to Michelle Galfan, a psychologist who analyzes companies' tight or loose cultures. We wanted to look at some real-world examples of how this tight, loose framing is playing out today. The big difference in the past few years is that a lot of them are still startups when they probably should be changing over to tight from loose. And that's kind of the question is, at what point do you make that transition? Jeremy Owens is MarketWatch's technology editor and San Francisco bureau chief. He sees the shift from loose to tight culture taking place often as Silicon Valley startups get more established. One example is Tesla. Tesla has grown tremendously in the past few years. They are trying to open up new factories. They have added new models. They have really tried to grow, but they have not established a lot of safeguards, especially for something as regulated as the automotive industry. And they are really starting to see the effects of that in terms of scrutiny from NHTSA. Hey, Carl, this is what a lot of people have been calling for for some time. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration announced that it will be opening a formal investigation looking into Tesla's autopilot technology. They were making updates to their software that in the automotive industry would be considered recalls, but they were not you know, classifying them as recalls until the past few weeks. And, and that's just one small example of this. We also see now the state of California is suing Tesla for racist workplace. The CEO likes to spend his days on Twitter and, and, and flying off the cuff and saying things that, that you know you normally don't see a CEO say. And this type of loose culture has just permeated and, and continued to spiral through that company. So I, I think, you know, as long as they continue to have that culture, there are going to be these ramifications and they're just hoping to outrun it. Tesla hasn't commented on NHTSA's investigation and called the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing lawsuit misguided. 
In a statement, Tesla said it, quote, opposes all forms of discrimination and harassment and disciplines employees who engage in misconduct. The company also announced a new training program to address workplace safety. Now it is a major automobile manufacturer, and it has to run in some ways like a major automobile manufacturer. There is a possibility to split it down the middle and still have the loose culture in terms of, you know, development of new vehicles and new products while making sure that the vehicles and products that are on the market live under that tight culture. Another famously loose industry Owens thinks could use a healthy dose of balance is the video game business. The video game industry has long had this loose culture, both from a building perspective and from a consumer perspective. The people who play video games, you know, they have a very loose culture to say the least. And that has really hit ahead in the past few years as video games have become a incredibly large industry. Video games are probably the largest entertainment industry or segment at this moment in terms of how much money they make. But they have continued to have this structure for making video games that is small teams working far too many hours, mostly men who are also in this video gaming culture that can be misogynistic, that prides itself on being trollish at times. The video game community had its own culture crisis around 2014 with Gamergate. That was an online harassment campaign in which thousands of people began to systematically harass, threaten, and even dox, that is, publish personal details about, any outspoken women who were either part of the community or writing about it. Critics blamed the lack of diversity in the gaming business for creating such a hostile environment. When you're dealing with an industry that has gotten this large, you are shutting out potential customers. And if your culture is very misogynistic, you're going to have a lot of trouble if that same culture exists within the companies making the video games. If they're deciding what video games to make from that culture and for that culture, you're shutting out everybody who does not like or agree with that culture. The most egregious example of this, of course, is Activision Blizzard, which is being sued by the state of California for treating women horribly within the workplace, for overall having a a frat boy type culture, is what the California regulators said when they sued. Activision Blizzard initially dismissed the claims, but CEO Bobby Kotick then promised to take swift action, including listening sessions, a review of hiring practices, and an independent investigation into the company's policies. When asked to comment, Activision Blizzard said, quote, We are fully committed to fostering an inclusive, supportive, and rewarding environment for all of our employees around the world. Conflict can also occur when, as often happens in the tech industry, big established companies buy younger startups. Michelle Galfan points out that in mergers, often companies don't give enough consideration to the cultural fit. For example, if the recently announced Microsoft-Activision-Blizzard merger goes through, how well will their styles mesh? Microsoft definitely wants the product and has a much tighter culture. There's going to be a lot of people who don't want to tighten up. Right. And, and so that's where you're going to run into issues. One company that's had to change lanes from startup to industry stalwart is Uber. Mike Isaac is a New York Times technology reporter who wrote Super Pumped, the battle for Uber. 
It's now a TV show on Showtime. My name is Travis. I am the founder and CEO of Uber. And contrary to what you might have read, I am not a monster. I was undergraduate at UC Berkeley with one of the first employees at Uber. We were both English majors. She decided to go off and create a multi-billion dollar startup with her friends, and I became a journalist. A few years later, by 2014, it was a huge entity sprawling around the world, and I had moved to the New York Times and decided I really need to start writing about this company because... It had been under the radar for mainstream coverage by that point, I would say, but definitely was getting to the point where it was becoming a verb at that point to Uber. The early days of Uber looked exactly like what you'd expect from a disruptive tech startup, definitely veering loose. When you're in startup world, not everything is very regimented and segmented off and not everyone has one specific function, but might be doing very different things any day to the next. That was definitely true of Uber specifically, and I would say probably to an even greater detail considering a lot of their entering different cities and sort of getting their business off the ground was very much do whatever you could to sort of make it work, often through guerrilla tactics and kind of pushing into different places without the express permission of local authorities or transportation companies in general. Their growth was off the charts. They gained a lot of popularity faster than most folks would have expected. And I think that can really affect how a company operates and how people view themselves versus the the reality of what their situation is in the world. And by that, I mean, Uber was this scrappy young upstart in the beginning that had to fight for every inch, had to sort of buck against the rules. So we have to do whatever we can to get in. That scrappy attitude, bucking against the rules, came to be what Uber's culture was known for. Part of being in a startup is that everything feels a little looser, feels like you're not corporate, right? You're just a bunch of folks in a pirate ship together trying to solve big problems and take on the world. And maybe you have to just sort of support your colleagues or do sort of whatever you can to make that happen. Uber became infamous for a culture of bad behavior. Isaac reported in his book that as long as those abusive employees were top performers, their actions apparently went unchecked. They almost became too lax, too loose, and too sort of open to anything goes, you know. One of the biggest issues for Uber is that the employees could kind of get away with doing bad things or just unsavory things if they were top performers, top earners. There was a manager who was abusive towards subordinates who threw a coffee mug at one of their heads one time, would threaten to beat people with baseball bats, just sort of very, you know, obviously abusive and violent, potentially violent behavior. In 2017, former Attorney General Eric Holder's investigation condemned Uber's culture of bullying and harassment, and Uber fired more than 20 employees as a result of the findings. CEO Travis Kalanick also resigned after pressure from a group of investors. The new CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, was from a more established tech company, Expedia. Dara came in and really laid the hammer down and sort of created new rules and new sort of philosophies on how the company should operate. I think to a large degree, he's shaped that and changed that and can probably claim his success there. But on the other hand, I would say 
you know, just because the culture is better doesn't mean the business is necessarily healthy. So, Stephanie, I think the Uber story highlights how you can shift culture at a company if you have to. The pandemic, for example, really brought these tight-loose tendencies to the forefront as we saw which companies could adapt quickly. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of companies thought for many years that they couldn't accommodate their workers' desires to take a day or two days a week and work from home. It just didn't seem possible. And then all of a sudden, you're in a situation where you very quickly realize everybody has to stay home. And somehow, it all managed to work out. Five days a week from home, something companies didn't even think was possible. Yeah, and we're seeing it play out again as the return to the workplace is accelerating. You know, some companies want very rigid structures. Recently, Google said its Bay Area employees need to come back into the office at least part-time. Others are having a looser approach. Nothing's etched in stone. Right. It's going to be interesting to see how much of this is really sticky in terms of, you know, people got used to it. And in many cases, they like it and they don't want to change. So we'll get to see over time how many companies decide to stay loose and let their workers continue to do a lot of what they do from home and how many kind of tighten back up and require workers to come back to the workplace. Maybe understanding where each of us falls on the tight to loose spectrum could help us be happier in our personal and professional lives. Considering how you fit into your workplace's culture might give you the keys to adapt or make you realize that another company with a different culture could be a better fit. Thanks for listening to The Best New Ideas in Money. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please leave us a review. As you probably know, it's the best way for other listeners to discover us. If you have ideas for future episodes or a question you'd like us to answer in an upcoming mailbag episode, drop us a line or send us a voicemail at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to Michelle Galfan, Mike Isaac, Kylan Coates, and Jeremy Owens. I'm Stephanie Kelton. And I'm Jeremy Olshan. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast for MarketWatch produced by Best Case Studios. Suzanne Myers is our producer. Our associate producer is Hannah Leibowitz-Lockard. The executive producer for Best Case Studios is Adam Pincus. For MarketWatch, Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer, and the associate producer is Katie Ferguson. Jeremy Binks is our news editor. This episode was mixed by Katie Ferguson. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea.